Welcome to this podcast in the IMAP Independent Thought Series. Today we're going to be discussing risk management, a very relevant topic given the volatility we've seen in markets in the first half of this year. Joining me to talk about risk in the current environment today, we have Dan Miles, who is the Co-Chief Investment Officer of Innova Asset Management, and Nat Webb, who is a Principal of Dobrik Financial Services. So welcome, Dan and Nat. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks for having me. So, Dan, um, perhaps if we can start with you and you can just give us a, a rough idea of what you've been seeing. I mean, we all know that markets have been very volatile in the first half. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about that. But also, I guess more importantly, where do you see it going from here? You know, Have we factored in all the worries about rate rises, Ukraine, et cetera? Is it going to be smooth sailing or do you see more volatility ahead? Yeah, okay. Um, I think you'd have to have lived under a rock if you, you, you're not aware of what has caused the, the gyrations in markets since the start of this year. You know, the first quarter um, we saw uh, it's the US starting to print um, uh, CPI and PCE figures above market expectations and then in February um, obviously there was the invasion of the Ukraine by Russia um, and that took up a lot of the rhetoric uh, for the first quarter of this year and then in the second quarter it was really that um, spiking in um, energy prices and food prices feeding through to that inflation narrative that led to a lot of the volatility in markets Um, and then uh, I guess uh, post the end of June and, and so far in the second half of this year, um, the US posted a, uh, a CPI print. It went from 9.1 down to 8.5. That's not core CPI. That's the overall CPI. So it includes volatile items like energy and food. Um, and the market interpreted that as meaning that uh, rate hikes were working and um, the future path of rate hikes might be eased and that we might have seen peak inflation. Now, whether or not we have, who knows, but um, that has led to what we are concerned is a bit of a relief rally um, because the underlying fundamentals still appear to be somewhat deteriorated um, in terms of the US entering a you know, a technical recession. Um, they're not actually in recession um, unless you go by the strict definition of two negative quarters of GDP growth, but they've got extremely high employment numbers or very low unemployment numbers is probably a better way to put it. Um, and you see the same in the UK and you know, Europe and, you know, we've seen it domestically here. But uh, our concerns are that we think the probability of further volatility is higher than it is lower because, those underlying fundamentals, um, that underlying inflation. I mean, going back from 9.1 to 8.5 is still eye-wateringly high. Like it is yeah, still extremely, yes. like it's nowhere near two. And for for us to get core CPI back down to two as well as overall CPI back down to two, well, energy prices are going to have to come down. Um, cost of labour is going to have to come down. We're going to have to see price drops and negative um, uh, CPI prints till the end of the year 
and that has never occurred before. Um, we think it's pretty unlikely to occur now, so we just don't think that um, things are going to level out at a level that the market is overly comfortable with. Right, right. Thanks. So, Annette, I mean, from a client point of view, I guess obviously a lot of things that they were probably worried about in the first half, the, the news every night was talking about big market falls, particularly for equities, even bonds giving negative returns. Have you been seeing a, a, getting a lot more calls and clients being a bit more concerned than normal? Well, first and foremost, uh, we are quite enjoying all the rhetoric of massive falls from market declines because, uh, especially on the news, all you ever hear is the ASX and the all odds. However, mm. when we're speaking with clients, they're understanding, okay, well, I'm in a diversified portfolio. So when we actually print or detail to them the returns that they're receiving, it's quite a relief. Um, they're used to these high high numbers or, or double-digit number declines where we're offering something much less. So the media is actually playing into our hands a little bit there. Um, but, yeah, client interactions have certainly pivoted to more of like a macro and geopolitical focus recently in meetings and just in general. Um, like Dan mentioned before, there's no shortage of uh, topics, be it inflation, rising interest rates, the invasion of Ukraine, COVID supply chain issues. So um, lots to talk about. Uh, luckily, our clients... I guess our, our focus with them is really to uh, educate them. So we haven't had a large number of phone calls and that might just be the fact that when we discuss the current market with clients, um, we always consider the long-term nature. Um, they're aware of what's happening, but they, they know that this is a long-term play. Um, we're not thinking in short-term cycles. So um, that, that's always... Uh, Good. I mean, we're always really proactive with our email outs and communication to clients. So I think that when we started experiencing those declines um, earlier in the year, we were on a weekly or fortnightly basis just providing some sort of peace of mind and, and clarity around what was happening. And a lot of the times, Dan and the team at Anova were really handy there providing collateral that was really client-friendly that gave their opinion on what was happening um, and also maybe some changes to the portfolio that were occurring because of that. So... So, yeah, I think that client education and keeping them informed is really important. Um, for those that may have called or, or sent an email, we just pick up the phone and, and just have a conversation with them, make them aware of what's happening, what we think is uh, occurring. And if we need to change strategies, um, then we discuss that. I mean, for a lot of retirees over the last few years, strategies really have been, well, do you really need to be getting or receiving that much income from your pension because you're not doing your traveling, you're not doing all that spending. So that, that can help just um, in, in kind of these current markets that might limit some of those losses by reducing pension payments. Um, equally for some clients who are wealth accumulators or pre-retirement, it might just be that pinch on the cash flow where we might reduce the salary sacrifice or um, their, their investment contributions just in the short term while they adjust to the current market. I mean, I don't think anyone's um, removed from these inflation spikes. I mean, you only have to fill up the car or go get a loaf of bread and it's <laughs> everyone yes, knows what's yes. happening. So, um, yeah, that that's probably... We're just big on education with clients, I'd suggest, and that's that's why we've been able to limit a lot of those panic phone calls and those phone calls of, oh, let's get out or let's sell. Um, so we're really that's lucky good. in that regard. And Dan, maybe just getting back to you, I mean, we've, we've talked about what's happened and what might be happening and, you know, Nat's touched on, on the client communication and so on. And I know you have a, 
an interesting or a different approach maybe to risk management to, to a lot of outfits. Would you like to perhaps just explain a little bit about your focus and particularly the, the behavioural aspects, which I think are interesting? Yeah, sure. Well, we, we've, um, for years we've been speaking to advisors about um, what it is that derails clients and leads to client behaviours that are value destructive. And that's largely, you can kind of largely bucket that into two things. It's either getting out at the bottom because people are concerned um, with what's going on, panic selling, which, you know, I have to echo what Nat has said from the advisors we've spoken to. We really haven't seen a lot of that um, this year, which has been which has been pleasing. Um, but then it's also the delay in actually reinvesting. Um, so it's, it's not just that they, they might have sold out at the wrong time, but when do they get back in or when do they deploy their capital? And no one can... I mean, there's, there's almost nobody in the world who can time this sort of stuff. And so um, what we think is that we should, from a portfolio construction um, point of view, provide clients really don't care what their asset allocation is as long as you provide them a level of risk that they can tolerate. Because when they come in to see an advisor, you know, they might come out as balanced or growth or whether they're conservative. What they're really saying is, you know, there's a, there's a risk threshold. There's a maximum amount of risk I can really get. And they really don't care how much you vary your asset allocation to get that as long as you give them something that is in the ballpark of what they're expecting to achieve. What they receive instead is a fixed asset allocation portfolio with variable risk associated with it. So what we think Mm -hmm. is that take a proactive approach to asset allocation and in reality it's risk management, the amount of risk budget that you want to allocate to different asset classes um, as opposed to having a fixed asset allocation because if you've got a fixed asset allocation and you've got a reasonable amount in equities, well, all of the volatility, all the drawdown, and apart from the first six months of this year where bonds were sold off, but almost all the volatility is going to come from equities. It's not going to come from the other parts of the portfolio. And so if you can um, budget your risk at the asset class level and also at the sub-asset asset class level, so whether they're factors or styles of different investment um, within those broad-based asset classes, the combination of those to provide a reasonably um, fixed amount of risk um, that you write on the box and say, you know, this is the kind of drawdown you'd expect in a maximum drawdown scenario. This is the amount of volatility you expect on an annual basis. As long as you're not breaching that and you're trying to maximise the returns to clients and you need to deliver what it says on the box, we think that clients are more likely to stay engaged. And this is one thing that can kind of be not removed but is hopefully a lot um, easier in conversations to have with clients um, and helps advisors to manage that behaviour, that um, that short-termism or that recency bias that they can have, which is, oh, wow, the world's falling to hell in a handbasket, therefore I'd better get out, whereas mm, mm. usually at that, that point in time, that, that's an inflection point and that's the time that you actually want to yes. buy up. And when everybody's buying back in, the market's already turned and gains have already been made. And so you want to be kind of systematic in dialing down risk as things get expensive and dialing up risk as things get cheap as opposed to trying to time anything. I mean, there's, there might be a few people around the world that can get this timing right, but how off, how consistently they can do it and um, how robust they can explain it, I'd, you know, I'd argue that that's, a, that's pretty hard to do. So valuation is still a, an important thing you look at in the process, Dan? Absolutely. Um, and it's valuation not just relative to each other asset class but relative to whatever the the sub asset class itself is to its own history so things like really high quality equities or um you know floating rate you know a to double a rated floating rate securities you would expect to pay a premium for those 
um, over the long term, but it's the magnitude of that premium compared to what is reasonable. Um, and we've got we've just gone through a period where we would argue that some of those valuations for those really highest quality assets just got too stretched, um, and that's why they were the ones that got punished at the start of this year. Um, and we think that they're probably still a bit too stretched given the um, outlook for inflation is it's unlikely to come back to um, you know that two percent or even sub two percent level anytime soon, and so therefore you need to apply a higher discount rate to it. And when you do that, then the valuations still look reasonably stretched. But that's not to say that's for every asset class or for um, everywhere. There's plenty of opportunities out there. But if you don't take valuation into account, then it doesn't matter how good the asset is you bought. If you've overpaid for it, you're going to get a rubbish return unless you wait twenty or thirty years. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, mean, I guess we've been told for a long time that, you know, diversification is important and you can diversify away your risk, but I get the impression that that's not necessarily a focus for you. You don't no. see that as the most I, important thing. No, so we, um, we would argue that diversification makes sense um, to hedge your bets, but you don't want to just diversify for, the, for diversification's sake. So the way we describe it, we do this mathematically and we use fairly sophisticated statistical processes. If anyone's interested, look up the Kelly criterion and its application. Um, not hard to Google, but it's, pro- it's not that easy to understand. But the way that it practically translates is that if the the level of upside um, in an asset that you're looking at is reasonably limited and the amount of uncertainty is quite high, well, then you probably want to own more. You don't want to have a whole lot of your risk budget allocated to it and you want to diversify more. So you want to have more in, in terms of diversification. Um because there's a lot of uncertainty and there's limited upside. But when you have an opportunity for certain assets where the upside is much greater and you've got a lot of more, a lot more confidence in that forecast and therefore the um, realms of variability and the uncertainty around it is shrunk, it's lower, um, then diversification is just going to do nothing but destroy your returns. And so you actually want to concentrate more in those opportunities that are made available to you. Um, and we think you need to be dynamic about that throughout time and model that for each of the potential assets that you can allocate to. Um, you're never going to get it exactly right. You're not going to get it all right all the time. But if you get more right than wrong and the magnitude on the way up higher than the magnitude on the way down, then it's going to lead to more robust and s- a smoother ride for clients and provide them a greater level of confidence um, over the longer term. Okay. And um, Nat, I know uh, Dan said there, you know, that he hasn't seen the sort of people panicking out and so on earlier this year or he hasn't been hearing that from advisors. And and you've said that sort of communication, the hand-holding has, has helped a lot with clients. But I know when we talked earlier, you mentioned a few examples of perhaps, you know, people coming to talk to you who are not clients yet who have been great examples of that sort of what not to do. Yeah, uh, last week I had a potential new business client um, who will be a, a good client um, with a bit of education. But um, yeah, he made me aware that uh, he was sitting at work with a couple of mates, and uh, they they had the discussion around selling out around um, what was it? Must have been back in April or May. Um, but the problem was they sold out, but they haven't returned to the market. Uh, so, and, and my right. question to him was, well, when do you return to the market? And what? what factors are you looking at in order to achieve that result and to make that decision? And he just looked at me puzzled. So I think he's just relying on his mates at work, to be honest. 
who is to say that there are, uh, like, like Dan alluded to before there, there's not too many people who can time markets consistently and I don't think three blokes sitting around a work site are probably those three in the world. So, <laughs> um, yeah, look, our job, I guess, is to educate clients and to ensure they don't make those, those uh, mistakes and they consider the long-term nature. We don't want them to be obviously leaning on behavioural biases of, um, of loss aversion. Um, I, I, I alluded to it before, but big, a really big part for us as advisors in this firm is just education. So we really want to ensure that the clients that we bring on board are the right clients for us and that they, they want to be educated. Not every client wants to come in here and, and want to learn. Uh, we, you do get clients who just say, look, deal with it. I don't really care. Just deal with it. That's not really who we want. We want people who are educated that know um, and, and place some importance on what we do um, because it's times like now when markets are volatile and there are, well, previously where there were market declines where we don't want to be fielding 400 phone calls from clients saying we have no idea what's going on, why is this happening? Um, we would rather be much more proactive, educate them in the initial stages so they know exactly what the strategies are, they know how the investments work, they know the role that an overplay within the advice mm. process um, and it just provides that level of comfort um, understanding our broad client base of pre-retiree and retirees. So they're kind of at that pointier end where they don't have, they've got time on their side, but they're, they're also a, a lot more nervous, I guess, about what's happening now. They've had that last paycheck and now they're looking towards, well, now I'm going to be drawing down on these funds. So how do I protect it? Um, and I think that's where an overplay really pivotal role because we can say we're outsourcing this to a professional asset consultant. We've had 23 plus years of a relationship there. We've been through thick and thin um, and we have a really good relationship. Um, and for clients to know that that's outsourced to a professional firm, I think that's probably better than um, them thinking on, on a Friday night, we open up the dartboard and just throw darts at the next investment that pops up in the yeah. local paper. So um, I, I think yeah. that really works well for us as a firm. We, we can rely and concentrate our strengths on, on building relationships with clients, being in front of clients and building the strategies, and then we can outsource the investment to professionals who have got years of experience and, and, um, and that works for us. Yeah. I mean, you, you've talked about the, the outsourcing. Obviously, that's a benefit for you, but I mean, that you also mentioned the, you, know, you can't field 400 phone calls, and I guess that's the benefit of their of running managed accounts, isn't it? That you don't yeah. have four hundred clients that you might have to ring up to say we're going to you know sell some equities or put more money into bonds or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we're currently looking to um, upsize, but uh, we've got four hundred and fifty clients, three advisors, and about seven support staff. So it would be. It'd be logistically, it'd be a nightmare to try and um, be managing and reviewing portfolios on sometimes quarterly, half yearly basis, um, preparing ROAs. It just, it wouldn't be profitable. I don't think we'd be here for long. So um, we made a decision a while ago to, to move um, to that managed accounts and we've never looked back. I mean, um, it just allows, like I said before, it allows us as advisors and as a team to concentrate on our strengths, which is providing advice and, and recommendations and strategy. And being able to field those calls, uh, we just wouldn't have the resources. If people are ringing up or we're having to reach out to them about various portfolio changes, I, I, I wouldn't. I, I just couldn't see how that would be um, profitable for us. Very good. Okay. Um, Dan, I mean, let's touch there on, on you know, the outsourcing and, and allowing you guys to, the professionals, as it were, to, to run the portfolios. Can you just perhaps talk a little bit about 
some of the changes that you have made with your process, given what we've seen the last few years. You know, we go back to the initial COVID stages when markets collapsed and then you've, you've touched on this year, you know, inflation, fears and interest rate hikes, Ukraine and so on. How, how do those sort of events impact what you do or, or what changes might you have made when things like that happen? Yeah, um, something like COVID, we didn't come into the market overly prepared for it. We had a short period of time, but we were fairly quick to react. So early March, we were already, or late February, we were preparing for an early March, we were able to execute on changes in the portfolio to be able to de-risk the portfolios. And then if you think back to March 23rd, 2020, we we got the timing exactly right, which was a fluke, like we weren't intending to time. At, at you know, around that, that end of March period, we were thinking, wow, we have no idea how far this could go. But the reality was that valuations were cheap enough that we needed to be buyers. We had to be risk on. And so we were dialing the risk back up into the client's portfolios. We didn't get all of the risk budget deployed that we would have liked to because everybody remembers the market just ripped over the following couple of months. Yes. And yeah. we were trying to use a yeah, we were trying to use a dollar cost averaging strategy to um, to get back in because we thought there could be a second or a third downturn in markets if there was a second or third wave that came through that obviously didn't occur so thankfully we got enough risk budget back in the portfolios that we were able to fully participate in the rebound um, but we didn't get as much deployed as in hindsight we you know would have been the ideal positioning and then coming into this market down uh, downturn being largely inflation and inf- um, interest rate driven we were we were kind of preparing for inflation anyway but um, because I think it was in February 2021 was when I started publishing a few things in our quarterlies or our portfolio insights or our weekly updates or our monthly uh, publications saying that it's a, the market's pricing in a non-zero chance of inflation and it's not non-zero. And so therefore, we where things look um, relatively attractive, nothing looked outright attractive, but things look relatively attractive, we want to position in those. And so that was more in floating rate instruments, higher up the investment grade, oh, sorry, higher up the capital structure um, up above investment grade and into shorter duration equities, believe it or not, um, so equities that weren't overly interest rate sensitive and that's generally those that were cheaper in nature and so more more of a value bias. Um, and I guess that's, that's something to keep in mind as well is that we get paid to do a job. Um, we're, ne- we're not going to get everything right all the time, but one of the things that I think Nat expects from us is that we actually do make changes in client portfolios and we have to communicate what those changes are and why we made them so that clients can understand what it is that's going on. But a lot of um, you'll see a lot of offerings out there that just have these static allocations to particular managers or styles or whatever the case may be, and they stay static throughout time irrespective of conditions, which is fine if all clients have a 10 to 15-year time horizon, but a lot of them, you know, they might say that they have a long-term time horizon, but it's really that that short-term um that short-term nature and getting caught up in the moment that can um, you can really see um, how they how they respond and so um, that's a great value. Sorry, Dan, I was just about to chime in there and just say that's such a great value add for our clients because Nova do provides so much marketing material, um, but what they do do on a regular basis if portfolio if there's been changes to the portfolio then we will get information, we'll get graphs, we'll get whatever we want essentially. We, and we can actually provide that to clients in a review meeting. I had it this morning um, where obviously when you are in a review meeting that you've seen a client, you haven't seen a client for 12 months, um, you don't want to just be talking of negative returns. So 
I provide some information around why it's negative and then you can actually show the benefit and how it has been limited and the negative returns have been limited by what ANOVA has actually done. So we put up the chart and say, okay, ANOVA made this change um, in February. They've moved into agriculture fund here for these reasons and you can actually talk to it. And it rather than just sitting in front of a client trying to explain to yourself why a return is negative and it's not the fault of anyone, it's just the broader market, but you can actually say, well, these, these are what we're doing to limit those losses and they really see the other side of it and then also indicating that this is a really good opportunity for Dan and, and the team at Anova. They're actually seeking opportunities here where they've been purchasing at such high levels um, previously that now they're actually there's so much opportunity in the market they're spoiled for choice. So trying to put change that narrative a bit where you're not just sitting in front of a client saying, oh, well, remember the last couple of years that we've spoken and you've had gangbuster returns? Well, unfortunately, now it's negative. Well, we can kind of turn that narrative and, and, and make it a little positive for them. And they walk out and think, oh, this is good. We're, we're on the right track. So th- that is certainly a benefit. Yeah. Okay. I think that, you know, probably the one key thing I get out of all of this discussion is the communication angle and how important it is, whether it's, you know, from, from Dan's side in explaining what's going on with the portfolios and when and why they're making changes to, you know, talking to the clients and being able to explain clearly what's happened and how they might have benefited from the way the money is being looked after and so on. Yeah, I, I can't comment from an advisor's perspective, but I think from an investment manager's perspective, when I founded the business, I said, look, half of our job is to run the money well. The other half is to communicate what we're doing and why. And I think that's paid dividends. And I think the first half of this year has shown, um, shown the benefit of doing that um, and the advantages, not to us, because it's, you know, it's a lot of work and we're not, you know, we don't have marketing backgrounds, so we don't necessarily have writing backgrounds. But I think the benefit is then to the advisor and the end client, really, the focus is on the end client and trying to prevent those value destructive behaviours. And as Nat said, it's, it's, it's worked quite well so far. So hopefully it'll continue to in the, into the future. I think with technology now too, we're just saturated with information. So the expectation or the way that I look at it from a client perspective and from a principal perspective is people expect communication. I know me personally, if someone doesn't within a few days or a week respond to me, I, I'm, I'm trying to question why because we play such a big importance in the firm here of ensuring that we get back to clients when we say we will and actually communicate. I think that's that's just the nature of um, society these days. So it's really important to keep up with that. And I think second to that is it's a point of difference because in our industry, I feel like it's probably lacking for a lot of firms. Um, we have a lot of clients coming here saying, oh, you're sending out these emails once once a week or once a fortnight. I've never had that before with our previous advisor. We never got anything. The only time we heard anything was at a review meeting if they called. So it's not hard, those little one percenters, to really exceed those expectations of clients. And it just I guess it's just that adds to that value, uh, client value proposition. So it is, it is really important, yeah, especially in times when markets are down. That's great. Look, um, we have covered some really interesting ground in our podcast today. I think I mean, we've talked about a different way of looking at risk perhaps and, and obviously talked a lot about the importance of communication. Just remains for me to, to thank our participants today, Dan Miles from Innova Asset Management and Nat Webb from Dobrik Financial Services. Thank you both for taking part in this. Mm-hmm.